excited to be in church and celebrating the risen Savior this morning. Amen. Can we give him can we give him honor and glory this morning? Thank you. You may be seated. Happy Easter. Thank you for joining with us this morning. We're just glad that you chose to come and be with us this morning. If you've not been welcomed, welcome to Portico, and we're happy that you, you've chosen to be with us this morning. Isn't it a beautiful Easter day? We finally got one. We, it's, it's good that, that finally the first nice happy Sunday is, is Easter. I think that's, I think that's very fitting. <laughs> For Easter, when did, you, when did you start to question the legitimacy of the Easter bunny? I don't want to burst any bubbles here this morning, but... <laughs> Jeremy, just, just yesterday, you know, yeah, and over, from what I can tell through community events, we're supposed to believe that there's a bunny who varies in size, shape, and color, and uh, he hides eggs all over the world, sometimes in houses. Conveniently, he does it on different days, depending on when people are choosing to celebrate Easter or have a family get-together. He conveniently works around family schedules like that. It's quite the tale, really, that we, that we try to Make, our, make ourselves and our families and our kids believe. And then there's that heartbreaking moment when you've discovered that the story that once held so much meeting and so much province, uh, promise of chocolate and wonderful things was just a giant farce that was put on to entertain you. And, you know, over the years, there's a bunch of stories that challenge us to consider what's reality and what is a place where we're just being manipulated. Do you remember, I, I mean, I wasn't alive here. I was born in 1979, but the moon landing. I've studied, I've studied the moon landing. And um, I don't know if you know this, but in nine times out of ten, there is never a shadow that's cast on the moon. And if you can see wonderfully right there, as Neil Armstrong is planting the flag, there's a lovely sun casting a shadow onto, onto, onto Neil Armstrong. And you can go in and do all these studies about, did the moon landing ever happen when the Americans and the Russians were, were going head-to-head trying for this? That There was the Cold War, and they wanted to see who was the first that could get to space. And, and then all of a sudden, the Americans, without, the proper, without ever saying they had the proper technology to get to space, end up in space planting a flag on the moon with a cameraman and all kinds of wonderful technology broadcasting it live down from outer space to... Hollywood, and, and there's this wonderful debate on, did the moon landing ever happen, or is this just a conspiracy that was put on because the Americans wanted to show that they were dominant? It's a conspiracy theory. What about, what about global warming? After this winter, there's no global warming, right? Climate change, yes. <laughs> global warming, no. We, we don't believe that anymore. But there's Early in the, now that we're into the 21st century, we can see that what the initial claims of the global warming real fear, those extremist claims about how we were going to run out of all these natural resources and our skin would be burning and things like that, that wouldn't, that, obviously that was a little overboard, but is it, is, is the climate change that we could be facing in the next hundred years or so, is that, is that real? Or was Al Gore looking to sell a lot of books and were, and were a lot of people looking to make help the world make changes to the way that we use our natural resources. A lot of people would say, you know, this is a complete farce. It's a complete conspiracy theory that we're just being manipulated. And other people are saying, just please recycle, put things in the green and the blue and the yellow and just, just turn, use, the, use the right light bulbs and do things like that. It's a conspiracy theory that you choose to buy into or choose not to buy into. 
There's the, there's, the, there's the Freemason conspiracy theory. Have you ever, have you ever done any study about the Freemasons and the, and the Illuminati? And there's this secret society that governs the world. And that all through years, we can see it in the leaders of England and the leaders of the United States. And, and, and people that have come to power in most dominant countries seem to have some affiliation with the Freemasons. And, and even on the American dollar bill, there's that eye yeah, at there at the, at, the, at the top of the pyramid. And, 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 it's, and it's supposed to be an allegiance and a throwback to their affiliation with this, the New World Order. And there's facets of this in all different kinds of countries. And it's, and it's, and it's kind of trickles down. And we can see it even in, in the way that the Shriners dominate. Was anybody at the Santa Claus Parade? this year how many floats were at where like did the shriners have <laughs> like seven or something <laughs> we had they had that have like six or seven floats in our little parade here it's 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 a it's a, it's a theory it could be a mass conspiracy it could just be something that was put out there and then of course we've got the most recent conspiracy theory that's going on andrew would you show us the news clip from cnn who has been putting out the, the latest and greatest conspiracy that's happening one, I think it would be a long time before we know what happened. Two, there are bound to be all kinds of conspiracy theories. They're popping up online, like, did the plane land on a remote island? Did a meteor take the plane down? There was actually a no meteor in the area. At the time the plane took off, could it have hit the plane? When a spectacular event happens, I think it's human nature to try and find some sort of uh, cause that explains uh, something mysterious. <laughs> I mean, something's going on there, right? <laughs> I have the option on my phone that says, find my phone. So when I leave it, like, at the grocery store, I can ping it and I can find my phone. Yet we lost the plane somehow, somewhere in the, in the world. Apple can find Rick's iPhone. The world can't find a flight with hundreds of people. Something's happening. So again, we go, is this, is this just something that happened and it's a difficult story to believe? Or is this a conspiracy that's being kind of pervade and, and, and something that's happening in our world? Well, this morning, for a few moments, could we consider one other conspiracy that some believe is full truth, and we celebrate here this morning, and others say, no, it's a conspiracy, that in the same way, we've, there's been questions about people who found the Shroud of Turin, that's the, the cloth that Jesus was wrapped in when he, was, when he was dead and when he was in his tomb, and the Vatican apparently has the Shroud of Turin, but they won't let it be tested, and many of us years ago read it. Dan Brown's The Da Vinci Code, and we watched that book. I mean, we watched that movie, and there was that, no, the Holy Grail, it was a secret relationship between uh, Mary Magdalene and, and, and Jesus, and this was all just a big cover-up of the church, and people, are, people put one theory forth and another theory forth, and then the church says, no, it's just a straightforward, as we read it in the Bible, what is truth and what is just a conspiracy theory? And with so many passionate people telling us so many different things, how do we know what to believe? As kids, we, as I mentioned, we grew up hearing stories about the Easter Bunny, and then, we, and then that whole world is broken. Sorry, Jeremy. It, it, is, it did happen. It is real. He's not real. He's just a guy in a suit. But the other character of Easter, we're told to believe, as kids, we're taught to believe this other character of Easter. Well, that is real, and that's going to keep going. How do we know? How do we know what to believe? And we're in a two-part Easter series. If you're with us on Good Friday uh, over in Mississauga, we looked at the voices of the crowd that questioned Jesus. There, were, there, were, there was insincere followers there who one moment would praise him and the next moment ask for him to be killed. 
And there was angry, the chief priests were angry at Jesus and they were spewing insults at him and there was the skepticism. And we looked at what, what are the voices that we believe about ourselves, and what are the voices that we hear the world calling us. And we can give, the wonderful message of Easter was that we can put those on the cross and, we can, and Jesus didn't have to listen to those voices and neither do we. And we can accept a brand new voice, the voice of our Father saying, you're loved, you're adopted, you're accepted, you're restored. And today we're going to continue on in that series with the voices of the sidelines. And we're going to look at the voices that call out in Christi- against the Christianity and or against our faith today and say, how do we react to those? So we're going to go to the book of Matthew and uh, Matthew 28 verses 1 through 15. And uh, if you do need a Bible, just slip up your hand. You're more than welcome to borrow one of ours this morning. And uh, Mark will make sure that you get, you get one of those. Just get that back to us at the end of the service. But we're at Matthew 28, verses 1 through 15, and reading from the NIV version. Here's what it says. It says, After the Sabbath, at the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, how would you like to be called the other Mary? And the other Mary went to the tomb. And there was a violent earthquake, for the angel of the Lord came down from, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and they became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. And then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. And there you will see him. Now I've told you. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, they clasped his feet, and they worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And while the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city, and they reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. And when the chief priests had met with the elders and devised the plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You're to say... You are to say, his disciples came in the night and they stole him while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and will keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And the story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Conspiracy theory. (laughs) The guards there, they saw something They weren't sure necessarily what to believe. But there were people there who looked at it, and right away, they just rejected the story. And that's our first response to Christianity, is that we can reject Jesus without even considering what was going on, without ever considering that it might actually be real. We just flat out reject it. We're not interested. Because life seems okay the way that it is, and having Jesus come and this story... And, and what he's teaching would only seem to mess it up and it would get into our way. This is the reaction of the Jewish church and their leaders. They honestly didn't care what was happening. They had it, they had it set in their hearts. They were going to fend off anything, any message about Jesus. They just weren't going to believe it. And we looked at it on Friday and um, when we, at, the, at the combined service with all the campuses together, we looked at how, how the Jewish leaders had, had power and, they, and, and people were responding to them. So then Jesus comes and they were losing their power and they weren't interested in hearing anything else at all. There's a story in John 11 where one of Jesus' friends, his name's Lazarus, he dies 
and he's buried and he's put in this tomb. And then three days later, Jesus comes and he says, roll away that stone because Lazarus is going to come out. And, and you think, this is an unbelievable thing that's, ha- that's happening. Anybody would naturally go, holy cow, the guy that died is now walking out of the tomb. We watched him die. We watched him get buried. They were worried about how stinky it was going to be when they moved the stone away. That was what the common thought was. And then, so the stone gets rolled away and then Lazarus comes out. You would think the common reaction would be, this is amazing. Like if you, if, if you think about it, when someone has like a deadly disease and they go into the hospital with modern medicine and they recover, aren't we all blown away and we celebrate how amazing God is and how amazing our medicine is? Or even if somebody like, when somebody like injures themselves and we just question what's going to happen and they heal naturally, we think, oh, praise God, that was a miracle. <laughs> when somebody dies and it's been in the tomb for three days, this is a pretty amazing thing. Look at how the Jewish church leaders responded to this. John 11, verses 48 through 53. They go, if we let him go on like this, Jesus, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. They're worried that they're going to lose power. And then one of them named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. (laughs) You do not realize that it's better for one man to die for the people than the whole nation to perish perish. He did not say this on his own, but as the priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the whole nation. Even Jesus was using Caiaphas's words. And not only for that nation, but for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. The response was, I don't care that people are coming back to life. We have to get rid of this. We're just going to reject Jesus because I don't even want to consider what's happening. And they just weren't going to be Christians regardless of the evidence that was there. They weren't going to be Christ followers. They were happy with the way life had been for hundreds of years. And Jesus was more a nuisance to them because they were doing life just fine. Things were good. You know, that's still a response that some of us have today. We look at our lives and we say, I'm happy with how life is going. I've got work. I've got my friends. I've got my family. We're going to have turkey or an Easter ham this afternoon. And every once in a while, it'd be nice if we could get a leaf playoff appearance. But other than that, we're doing good with life. If we can just keep moving along. And then all of a sudden, Jesus intersects our life and we're confronted with that message. And we go, you know, I I don't even want to consider what's happening. I've got enough going on. Things are well. I don't even want to consider that this message of Jesus might be true. You know, even Judas one of Jesus' best friends had this reaction. He was, we read in Matthew 26, 14 through 16, then one of the 12 who was called Judas Iscariot. He went to the chief priest and he said, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? Judas goes, you know, I don't like where this Jesus thing is going. I'm going to fix this so life gets back to normal. So they counted out 30 pieces of silver and from then on Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. For some of us, it might even come down to just apathy. We're, we've got too many other important things going on to consider religion and consider the claims of Christ. It's the, I'm glad that it's working out for you, but just leave me alone. <laughs> this morning, if that's the theory that you may be going with, the empty tomb that's there still begs the question, then what actually happened if this is all just a big conspiracy? 
Others of us, we may not flat out reject it right away, but we work to conceal the message somehow. It's like the guards that we read about. The only thing that they knew was that Jesus was gone. They knew something happened. Like we read, there was like an angel, and they, they shook, and they were really afraid. And then the dead body that they were supposed to be guarding was gone. <laughs> and they're like, we, something happened. They both knew, or maybe there was a whole, there, there was probably more than two of them. Often we see it depicted as two, one on either side, because that works well in paintings, you know, and kind of symmetry and things like that. But there was probably more than two of them. There was probably an entire guard that was there. And they knew something happened, but they had to come up with some kind of story. And if you have already precluded that you're on the side that you're going to reject Jesus, sometimes it just makes a better sense for you to come up with a story that works for how you're going to go with life. <laughs> we do this too, though, don't we? Who is a big milk drinker in the room? Big milk drinker in the room. You're like, yeah, one, two? <laughs> Who's like a non-milk drinker? You're like, you know, you're not, oh, we've got... You're on the odd side, my friend. <laughs> For, if, you read the, if you read Canada Food Guide, the health guide, how many glasses of milk are we supposed to drink a day? Is that, or, or servings of dairy? Anybody know? Three. Yeah, three servings of dairy a day. We're, we're supposed to have. And, we're, and as kids, we desperately need milk growing up, right? Like three glasses, breakfast, lunch, dinner, make sure we get three glasses. I grew up in that where, where if, if I didn't have a glass of milk, like my mom was chasing after me. If, if she thought that I had a juice box at lunch, she'd be like, get your milk, you missed your dairy, your bones are going to break, it's horrible. And, and what, we, what we found out from lots of other studies is that actually most of the human race doesn't actually digest milk all that well, cow's milk. We're better with goat's milk, but we really don't digest it. We don't take in most of the protein and calcium from it. And in some people, it's actually been, fo- been found to break down their bones as opposed to build up their bones. But there's a lovely partnership between the dairy farmers and the, and the, and the dairy industry and the health guides. So it's really good if we keep... That's one theory that some people have. Some people have a theory that, no, just drink your milk, because if you don't drink milk, it's not good for you. I, people have all kinds of different theories. But however we choose to live life... We come up with a story that aligns well with our life. And, and we just want to make sure that it works out well for us. So we conceal truth. We conceal truth on the side that we don't really want other people to know about. I read, I read some reports the other day that, there's, that some people believe that there's a cure for cancer, but the patent has run out. So there's no money to be made on it. So they're concealing the cure for cancer. Some people would tell you there's no... There's actually no real treatment that we can cure cancer because if it's based on cell regeneration, your cells are always going to start to replicate themselves. So how can, how can we do that? If you use enough truth in a story, it becomes believable though, right? We can, we, can, we can make a good argument if there's enough truth. We can push people whatever way we want. And if we want them to go this way, even though we think the truth may be that way, we, we start to conceal this side. And we start to put out a story just like the guards did that day. They, didn't, they knew something happened, but they didn't tell anybody about the shaking and their fear that they had. They just said, you know, the only thing everybody else knows is that the body was there, now the body's gone. So we'll just conceal the part about the angels, and we'll just tell them about body here, body gone. So they conceal it, or they distort it. That's where we read in Matthew twenty-eight thirteen through 15. It was a plausible story that would take people's attention away from the whole come back to life thing. At least, at the very least, 
it provided an element of doubt in people's minds. It makes it harder to swallow an outrageous story when something more logical is presented as an option, right? If, if there's this crazy story that Jesus died but brought himself back to life, if there's a more plausible, likable option, we'll often go that way. We have a very religious culture these days, and we, it's, there, there, there's a fascination with spiritual things. And a plausible outcome is that as long as you connect with God, you're good. <laughs> the way to get to heaven is as long as you connect with God somehow, whatever way that, whatever tradition you were brought up in or whatever way that you find God and you connect with him best, then that's okay. Because we all, we all have different backgrounds, but each is a legitimate pathway to God. And we, and we like to say, I believe in God, but I like to believe that there's more than one way. It's, it's an idea that we call syncretism. It's, it's melding many different forms of religion into one kind of all-happy, all-inclusive belief. And it fits well with a culture that really doesn't want to believe in absolutes. And Christianity is simultaneously, at the same time, it's all-inclusive, yet completely exclusionary as well. God loves us all, died for us all, sent his son to die for us all, regardless of how we feel about him. Jesus came and died while we were still sinful, while we were opposing him. We looked at this for January and February. There was nothing we have to do to earn the love of Jesus. It's completely all-inclusive. Yet at the same time, it's completely exclusive. He left perfection. He came to earth as a human being to identify with us. He suffered And then he died, he was crucified, and he paid the debt of sin. The sin is the stuff that separates us and God. Because something had to die to pay the penalty, and Jesus did that once and for all. And he said, although my love is inclusive of everybody, it's exclusive to those people who would believe in that and believe in me. And you know what feels better to buy into? It feels better to buy into, you know what, people, as long as they find a way to connect with God and they live right and they do the right thing, then they'll get to heaven because they're good people and they believe in God just because they don't call God the same way that you call on God. And Jesus said, no, I'm the way and I'm the truth and no one gets to my Father but through me. And the message that we have out there this morning in our culture is a distorted message that says, no, we can do it other ways. Or it's concealed. They say, no, there are... There are parts that we're just going to leave out. And for some of us, we just reject it altogether. And I recognize that on Easter Sunday, it's a day when we reevaluate our stance with God. We reevaluate how we respond to God. Maybe we're like people in the crowd that were angry or we're just kind of insincere or we have a little bit of wishy-washy faith. Maybe we buy into the, the distortions or the concealed truths. But it brings us down to a simple crisis moment. Is that will we accept or reject the story of Jesus? Do you reject it as a conspiracy theory put out by the church, just like all the other conspiracies that we have, and is it the same? Or do you accept it, knowing that this is truth, and this is what he has for us? We live also in a complacent culture that will often put off things for as long as we can, right? We'll have home projects. Some of you have projects in your garage or in your basement right now that you've been putting off since the fall, right? You know you have. You're waiting, you're waiting for a day when you don't have anything on. 
Those don't exist, but we're waiting for that day when that happens. Or we're waiting for a warm day. Those don't exist either in this country anymore. (laughs) We don't confront difficult situations until we have to. And some of us unknowingly reject Jesus just due to our complacent nature. So this morning, we want to make it real and decisive. We've just finished a study in this church about how God paved the way for anyone and everyone to become a son or a daughter of God. And all that is required is a recognition of a need for him. That's all that's required. You don't need to do anything. You don't need to change anything today. You don't need to have done any pre-work before hearing the message. All you need to do is say, I believe that this story that the church talks about, that the world has been considering for over 2,000 years, I believe that it's true. And I believe that I need that payment for my sins. A rejection means a self-supported life here on earth as well as in eternity without him. Do you know that as Christians, our theology is such that we believe that we all live forever. We believe that we live forever with him or we we live forever without him. And to reject this story means we live self-supported on earth, apart from God, and then for eternity, we live in isolation, apart from him. To accept it means, yeah, I believe that God loved me enough to send his son to pay a penalty for the stuff that I know within me is wrong. And I want to live now for you, with you, and I want to live forever with you. And the best part about following Jesus is that it's just that step. You don't need to know everything this morning. You don't need to make any any life change, as, as I said right now. It feels like a crisis moment, but following Jesus is just a journey. It's continual. I need to decide tomorrow to follow him, and I need to decide the next day to follow him. It's just a journey. So this morning we come to a head, and we say, do you choose to accept or do you choose to reject? Would you bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you for how much you've done for me. I thank you for the way that you know me inside and out. Lord, I thank you that you love me. And I thank you that that same is true for every person here this morning. Regardless of how we stood with you before we came into the room, we believe everyone can walk out with that same love and that same presence in their life, Lord. So this morning, just in the quietness of this moment, would you consider in your heart whether you want to reject or accept the claims of Christ. That's what Easter is. Like Andrew said, we can celebrate this morning as believers. We know that it's truth. And we we see evidence all around us in what's happened inside of us, in our hearts and in our minds, what's happened in the lives of our friends and family, the, the creation of the world. There's evidence all around us. But it only began, we only began to see it when we first took that step to accept. So this morning as we all sit here, I challenge 
you to consider, do you accept or reject the claims of Christ?